Hello, friends, my dear and distant friends. I hope this week has treated you well. It has treated me well overall. I have, on occasion, while sitting in my empty, crumbling, wonderful home on the cliffside, heard the sound of a flute playing against the ocean's roar. I find it very comforting. Sometimes I wonder if I actually do hear it anymore, or if I just think I do. Some nights I can't tell the difference between the howling wind and singing. Perhaps nature provides us with the sound of people when we really need them. Maybe. It is probably important that I tell you that I spoke with someone this week. Or rather, they spoke with me. Just a stranger. Well, not really. A friend. A friend like you. They came up to me while I walked freely in this place I now call my hometown. They must have been a traveler to this place. You see, the people here are so few and so wise and so gentle that they don't mind my great and terrible appearance. They bow their heads respectfully and go on their way, unless they need something from me or I from them. I help them where I can, and they leave me in peace. It's really quite wonderful. I never imagined I could have this. But then again, I've never tried. Not until now. Anyway, a friend like you came up to me. Awe in their eyes and their mouth agape. They said these words. I know you. I listen to you. How strange. I suppose I've done a good job at describing myself over these past 60 episodes. Has it really been sixty? How magnificent. They came right up to me, and they were afraid and thrilled, and they said that to me. I did not know what to say. I wanted to take their hand or embrace them, but this would hurt them. My touch is death. They moved towards me to touch me. I recoiled with a gasp, not wanting to hurt them. They took it as revulsion, and they were immediately ashamed. I felt so terrible. I apologized, but my sorry smile was full of sharp teeth. So they too apologized, and ran away. I can't stop thinking about that moment. I feel terrible still. I hope they're still listening so they know that. I didn't want to hurt you, my friend, that is all. I cannot get too close to you. Is that the reality of what I am? I can only really keep company with the dead, or those who cannot die. Those who cannot die live in the sky or the sea. Those who are dead are here, among us, and they do tend to find me. Maybe this is why I welcome them with open arms. They are like me. They are of the earth. Ah, 
the earth. That reminds me. There once was a man who spent most of his days working in a mine. He would arrive before sunset and go home after sunset. He toiled and he labored, his body sore with work every night, only to come home to a small apartment with only himself for company. He and his co-workers arrived in silence every day, found their own spot where they chiseled and hacked at the stone, and worked on their own there as hewers. Then, in silence, they'd return home exhausted. Or at least that's what he assumed they did. He didn't really ask any of them. He didn't speak to anyone. He didn't really look at anyone. He only knew how to sling his pickaxe and search the dark, hard stone of the underground world. His eyes didn't know how to see much else. He only knew how to sling his pickaxe and search the dark, hard stone of the underground world. His eyes didn't know how to see much else. That is, until one day, when he saw something strange in the rock. Something that he wasn't searching for. It was a little shining purple stone. He was on the hunt for metals, he knew. He had also learned about amethysts. He knew that a little piece such as this was worth so little especially to the cruel, hard men he worked for who only wanted stone they could make something else of. And the way the purple glinted in the little torchlight had caught his eye and didn't let go. He slipped it into his pocket and kept on going. Though as he worked, he could swear he could hear a little voice whispering. He turned quickly, hoping to catch whoever it was. But no one was with him. He was all alone in his little tunnel. He kept working despite the fact that he could hear that tiny voice. He went home that night exhausted, though a little less so than usual. He put the amethyst by his bedside, and as he drifted off to sleep he looked into it letting the moonlight from his room bring worlds and worlds of purple, lilac, and blue out of the rock. His dreams were full of purple, sparkling worlds like these. And a little voice, small and hoarse and shimmering like crystal, kept speaking to him there, too, though he couldn't remember the words it said. The next day he returned, and when he traveled to work in the dark, he didn't mind so much on this day, because he had the memory of color, brilliance, and sparkling amethyst hallways with him. He returned to his station and went back to work. He swung his pickaxe, he filled buckets and buckets with useless rock to be discarded elsewhere, 
and it was so hard, this work, that he began to forget about amethysts and crystals and purples and blues. Until he heard that little whisper again, plaintive and small. It seemed to say, Let me out. Let me out. Set me free. Set me free. And he whispered back, How? But no answer came. Only silence, then painful sighs, and nothing more. He kept chiseling, and soon enough something else came into view. Pale and purple like lavender fields that he had only seen as a child, the stone glinted in front of him, just as it had the day before. He hacked at the rock and pulled a few pieces, broken though they were, free. He pocketed them again and worked with renewed vigor. He began to realize that the splash of purple stone was larger than he thought. He pulled pieces of black rock and dirt from around it, and could see shades of amethyst that began at his feet and spread up to where his own face was. There was an immense store of it here, almost as if the rock was one large geode or something of the like. And the more of this crystal he found, the more he heard the voice whispering in his ear, and yet no one was there. More and more frantic, more angry it said, Let me out, set me free, let me out, set me free. When he stood in front of a huge patch of purple crystal, glinting and glimmering, and he looked down and saw several broken pieces of it on the ground by his feet. He felt a deep fear suddenly that he had stumbled upon something very valuable indeed. All this time they were working and toiling and struggling to find things that could be molded into other things, or melted down and converted to something useful. But here he was, in front of an incredible pocket of gorgeous sparkling stones. Lilac, royal purple, blue as the night and violet as the dawn. His eyes couldn't get enough of it, but he realized that he ought to have reported it. In that moment he feared for his livelihood. Even more so, he feared that men would be sent to take all of his glittering treasure from him, his universe of purple, and crumble it to little bits and sell it for nothing. This universe he had grown to love over one night. The horn went off that signaled the end of the miner's day. The man quickly shoved the handful of amethysts that lay on the ground into his pockets, and he ran out of that tunnel. When he went home, he lay in his bed staring at a pile of colorful crystal on his nightstand. The moonlight streamed in through his little window again, hitting the rocks in the most flattering way, lighting up the myriad of shades within the crystal, giving him a little bit of his universe again. He imagined that tomorrow might be his last day of work in the mine. He feared being hungry. 
He feared being purposeless. He feared being accused of theft. But, most importantly, he feared for the stone. He couldn't tell why, but he feared for it. His heart broke at the thought of it being shattered and carelessly thrown around, shipped, sold. To him it was so beautiful, so wonderful. His own kind of heaven lay within these stones. But as he looked at them tonight in the moonlight, he smiled. At least he had a little piece of that heaven no matter what. And no matter how little he had, he would never give it away. He started to drift off to sleep when he heard that voice. The night is clear, stars light the sky. The night is mine, but whose am I? It wasn't in his ear as it was in the mine. It wasn't all around him. It was out in the hallway outside of his apartment. And it wasn't saying the same things it said before. It wasn't begging for freedom. Instead, the voice said over and over, The night is clear. Stars light the sky. The night is clear. The night is mine. Stars light the sky. But whose am I? The night is mine. But whose am I? The man lay in his bed, facing away from the door on his side. Stars light the sky. He heard something clink against the knob of his door. He heard the knob move and the door squeak as the person tried to enter and they succeeded after one incredibly strong blow. He heard footsteps enter the room. A strange sound that didn't quite sound like feet against the floor. At least it wasn't like any sound of footsteps he heard before. Not made by human feet. He heard the voice sighing and chanting its prayer. He could feel whoever it was get closer and closer to the bed. He held himself tightly, pretending to sleep. But truly, he was imagining how he might quickly reach under his bed to grab the knife he kept there for his own protection. He heard a light voice, tinkling like crystal, say, There I am. the clinking of crystal again, right by his bedside. They were taking the stones. No, not those, anything but those. He quickly grabbed the knife under the bed and sat up, brandishing it at the person. And the person didn't look up at him, didn't even flinch. She stood by his bed, and the moonlight streamed across her face and went right through her, because she was made of amethyst. Lines and veins ran over every inch of her, straight and sharp like the ones on crystals. It was hard to make out her face, though he could see her lovely eyes, nose, and mouth. She had no hair nor clothes, but an elegant frame despite the square pieces of purple rock jutting out of her body here and there. 
and the patches of gray, black, or brown stone that were on her in no particular pattern. She looked like an unfinished carving, something that had been started but never finished, never smoothed or detailed. And he thought she was all the more breathtaking for it. She was holding her hands up, looking at the amethysts he'd stolen. He could see that on one hand she was missing three fingers, and she seemed to have a large carved-out spot in her abdomen. She didn't appear wounded, just slightly empty, flawed. She carefully took a small piece of amethyst and fitted it where her little finger was. She did the same to the other fingers and wiggled them around a little, watching them gleam in the light. She took the large piece that he found the day before, along with the little bits that had fallen to the ground after it, and carefully arranged them in the hole on her torso. She clicked them in place, making sure they fit, and held them there with her hand, sighing. There I am, she said again. And then she finally looked up to the man on his bed who now had lowered the knife. He looked at her and saw his universe of purple, seeing him back for the first time ever. He didn't know what it is he awoke down in the mine, but it brought tears to his eyes. He whispered, I'm sorry. She looked at him for a long moment. She turned and looked out of his window, smiling, and the way the moonlight on her face went through her and made her shine all the more brightly, all the more transparently, made him sob out loud. Before she turned, leaving his apartment, she said, The night is clear. Stars light the sky. And she left. He heard those strange footfalls down the hall out the front door. But whose am I? Wasn't that how her song finished? Whose am I? he wondered. And where? he kept wondering. Do I want to be? He crept out of bed and followed her. He followed her from a distance, unable to keep away from the woman of stone unable to resist seeing the different shades of purple and lilac and blue and lavender that she was able to contain, all in her own body. He followed her all the way back to the mine. His feet were bare, he didn't have his helmet or his flashlight. But even if it grew too dark, he could see a shimmer of purple that led the way. She was going back to his tunnel. She was going home. No, he wanted to say, don't go there. They destroy everything lovely, and they have no care for your colors and your universes. But she climbed back into her bed in the wall. She crept in, and the rock began to embrace her, as if sucking her up into itself. He came to her crying out, trying to convince her not to go, but she wouldn't be stopped. So he threw his arms around her and began to pull. She didn't understand. They were coming for her. He wanted to save her. 
She just wanted to go home. So he tried to pull her out, but she was already one with the mountain. The more he pulled, the more rocks began to dislodge and fall, and the mountain moaned. It wouldn't let her go. Instead, everything caved in around them, and the last thing he felt was her hard, cold, amethyst arms wrapping around him, completely enveloping him in her embrace. Then, darkness. For so many years, for so long. But do you know something? If you were to go into the mound of rubble, I believe we now think it's a mountain still and only that and never was a mine. If you go down into there, you could find them. And she wrapped herself so tightly around him, and the rock compressed itself so firmly around them, and perhaps after so many years and so many strange natural things that happen within rock, and pressure, and heat, and cold, perhaps he turned to stone. Perhaps he was purple, lavender, or blue. Or maybe he was pure crystal. I'm not saying that I saw him down there. But if I had gone into that mine and found them, which I might have, he would definitely be made of clear crystal. That would be the best way for him to see those colors he loved so dearly. You might be able to hear both of their voices whispering in your ear. But they're not begging to be set free. They're surrounded by a whole universe of purples and blues. For the mountain has its own mines, rooms, and rooms of stones like none you've ever seen. He did. She showed him. Good night, my friends. Until next time. Hi everyone, thanks so much for listening to episode 60 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen, the writer, host, composer, podcaster for this show. I appreciate you stopping by and listening to my stories. First off, I'd like to say thank you to Tom underscore Ontario, who left me a lovely five-star review for the show called Very Well Done. It reads, My new favorite eerie podcast. Kristen does an amazing job with the narration and her voice keeps me spellbound. Good stories and not the usual rehashed ones. Audio on this podcast is also A+. Each podcast is between 25 to 30 minutes with no advertisements in the middle like some do. If you want to listen to something out of the ordinary while trying to fall asleep with no gore, listen here and here. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm so happy you're enjoying the show. Actually, another thank you goes out to Tom for donating to the show on coffee.com. 
Tom bought me a coffee, and that means so much, really, because we, and by we, I mean me, are a one-person team over here. That's me. I'm the team. So any support really means the world. You can also buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. Also, if you'd like the perk of having access to my constantly updated soundtrack of the show, you can donate monthly on Patreon at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. Another way of supporting is to check out my super cool brand new t-shirts and hoodies. You can find information on my website, kristenzaza.com slash podcast, or go to bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Thanks so much to everyone who's bought one so far. Also, you can give me a shout on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, or on our Facebook page. I'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Facebook, or anywhere really. I'd just love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening, friends. Have a wonderful week. Sleep well. Mm-hmm.